We're so glad that you've tuned in to the Rolling Hills Community Sermon Podcast. I'm T. Lusk, and I'm the Columbia Campus Pastor, and we're currently working through a series called Celebrating God's Goodness, where we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. You know, thankfulness and living lives of gratitude starts with us, and it starts in our heart. And when our hearts are full of joy and thanksgiving, that flows out into our attitudes. And so let's start learning about how to have that kind of perspective and attitude each day in the things that we face and the people that we come in contact with. We're so thankful that you're here. My name is Chase. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills, and, and what a privilege and honor it is for me to be here today as we continue this series celebrating God's goodness, and we're cultivating, kind of asking the question, cultivating a heart of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude in the middle of, of a fast-paced world, right? Uh, lots of division, instant gratification. So how do we cultivate this attitude of gratitude? How do we celebrate God's goodness in our lives, so our prayer over the next few weeks is that that's what we do in this season, that we would be a grateful people for how good God is. You know, we want that for our kids too. How many of you would say, man, I want my kids to develop this attitude of gratitude. I want them to be super thankful and super grateful. The other day, uh, I was taking my daughter to school, and so we were driving to school. I knew that I, I needed to make a detour, right? Uh, there was a detour, we weren't gonna get to school on time, but I thought, man, how great is this? I have this opportunity to be intentional with my little girl. She's five, and her name is Kit. So, man, that's, by the way, a great way, if you're a parent in the room, great way for you to be intentional is in the car, you have a captive audience, okay? They can't go anywhere, they're strapped in. So take that cell phone away, take that iPad away, and be able to speak words of encouragement to them. So I was like, man, as a dad, I'm gonna do this for her. I was like, speak words, like who God has created her to be. So I said, hey, baby, you are the most sweet, kind, loving, smart, beautiful, and brave little girl that I know. And she said, Daddy, we're gonna be late to school. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> like, uh, simple thank you, I don't know. What, uh, but we want that, I develop an attitude of gratitude. And, and here's the thing, where does it start? It doesn't start with them, it starts with us. You see, we have to repeat what's most important to us. And if developing that attitude of gratitude is important, we have to cultivate it. We have to cultivate it in us. You see, volume speaks value. Volume speaks value. The more you do things and the more you say things, place a higher value on that thing. So how do we develop that attitude of gratitude within us? Because what we do, what we do know is when we don't celebrate God's goodness, we devalue how much God has done for us. 
that make sense? When we don't celebrate God's goodness, we devalue how much God has done for us. So how do we do it? See, we can build a pattern of ungratefulness. You know what happens when we build a, a pattern of ungratefulness? We neglect to recognize God's faithfulness. So how do we do that? So today, we're gonna answer some of those questions, but we're gonna answer maybe a different question. We're gonna go a different direction. So how do I develop this attitude of gratitude in the midst of suffering? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, how do I develop this attitude of gratitude? Do you know people in your life that, that are just, have unbelievable faith? Right, those people that have gone through certain situations that are really hard, and somehow, in some way, whether they've gone through cancer or they've gone through difficult circumstances or they're in the middle of uncertainty, somehow, some way, they say statements like this, God is good. God has a plan for my life. That God has given me peace. Just a few weeks ago, um, about six weeks ago, I was text messaging a, a guy that um, he was in the hospital. And honestly, he didn't know if he was gonna make it through the night, much, much less the week. And I was texting with him, and this is what he texted me. God has a plan. The love of God is so much more profound than any human could possibly understand. I'm in a transformational moment, and I don't know what this means, but I do know that my path forward is brighter than ever before. That was my dad. I'm thinking, well, how does he have such resilient faith? That's remarkable faith. How does he know that God is good in the middle of this situation when he's not sure that he's gonna make it through the night? You see, I don't have to convince you today that life is hard. That would be a waste of time for me. The next 30 minutes, I say, yeah, life is hard, guys. There's suffering in this world. Here's, here's how it happens. Y'all be like, that's silly, that's, that's ridiculous. We know about pain, we know about suffering, but maybe today you need to be a reminder about how, goodness, how, how the goodness of God shows itself in the middle of this suffering. Maybe today you need that reminder, you need some encouragement that somehow God is orchestrating my life for good. There's a foundational theological question that every person tends to ask in their lives, right? What is that question? If we have a good, benevolent creator, sustainer of life, then why would he allow pain and suffering in this world? You've asked it, I've asked it, and then C.S. Lewis kind of repaints it for us. He said, what if we ask this instead? Would a good God eliminate pain and suffering in this world? He argues that humanity desires not so much a good God, but a kind God. Kindness being this, it's, it cares not whether its objects become good or bad, provided that it only escapes suffering. That most people want not so much a father in heaven, they want a grandfather in heaven. They just want, want the God that spoils us. And C.S. Lewis says this, he suggests that a truly loving and good father would rather see his loved ones suffer much and then be happy and despicable and not close to him. In other words, 
a good God may not eliminate pain and suffering from us because he's using those things for meaningful ends. Could it be God is using those things to help us grow? Could it be that God is writing a bigger story in our lives? Today, I'm hoping to paint that picture for us. That throughout the course of this time when we dive into God's word in 1 Thessalonians chapter two, that we would get this bigger picture of what Paul is trying to tell us in the middle of the mess, in the middle of pain, that we can celebrate the goodness of God. What does that look like? So you do me a favor? Let's just pray over God's word today. Father, we ask that we would forever be changed by your words. That we would look different as a result of hearing your words. Your words do not return void. They're sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, use your words to change us from the inside out. God, you are so good. Give us a reminder of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in 1 Thessalonians. If you have your copy of Scripture, we're gonna turn there. It's gonna be on the screens as well. So what's going on in Thessalonica at this point in time? Paul had a brief stay in Thessalonica. Okay? He didn't stay there very long, but he made a big impact. The church was birthed. He, he spent a, like a month there sharing the gospel. The church was birthed, and the young church was growing, and they were asking questions. And while this young church was growing in their faith, persecution was happening. So they were in the midst of suffering, and Paul's writing this letter saying, guys, don't be discouraged. God is writing a bigger story. Persevere. It's okay. And so he begins his letter uh, he continues his letter in chapter two, verse one. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered, get that, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of opposition, in the face of opposition, we'll get back to Philippi in just a bit, but it wasn't good. If I'm Paul and I suffered what I suffered in Philippi, I'm like, I'm giving up. Like this Christianity stuff is for the birds. I wanna hang this up and I'm gonna go live my life, go back to what I had because, because there's not much suffering back there, so I'm gonna go back there. This one's for the birds, but no, what he said, he said no, um, we, we suffered much and then we continue on and we pursued the gospel and we came to you to share the good news. And what it says right here, it says we dared to share, tell you the good news in the face of strong opposition. So here's Paul writing from having coming from a place of, of suffering to the Thessalonica. And then it says this, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, who, <clears throat> but God who tests our hearts. And then he goes down, let's jump down to verse seven. Just as nursing mothers care for their children, so we care for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember brothers and sisters our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone 
while we preach the gospel of God. Now, what was going on at this period of time? Well, I think we've got to understand that while, um, while there, was, there was Paul sharing the gospel, there were also other religions, other missionaries that, that sought to spread their own news, that sought to spread their own faith. And so they were missionary-minded people, but these were not just any missionaries. These were missionaries that were opportunists. I mean, they went to these towns and they would, share the, they would share their faith in order to get support. They were like, give me all the money. Give me all your support. They would gather all the resources and then they would leave, never to return. So they were in it for impure motives. And, and Paul's letting them know, look, I didn't come for myself. I didn't come, come for personal gain. I, I came to share with you the good news of Jesus. Verse 13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which indeed at work in you and you believed. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from our own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. It's like Paul is kind of saying, hey, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you're going through some hard times and it's a struggle right now, but stay on mission. Don't forget what the Lord has done. And, and for me, I'm like, what? <clears throat> for him to write these words, where is that coming from? What place is that coming from? What what makes Paul stay on mission and continue to celebrate the goodness of God? Here's what I believe. I believe the same things that help Paul stay on mission are the same things that God uses to help us stay on mission and celebrate the goodness of God. And let me give you just four of those. It's in your notes. We're gonna go through those. The first is this. Knowing Jesus personally. Knowing Jesus personally. It's not your grandmama's faith. It's not the fact that you grew up in a Christian home. It's not tradition. But it's a personal relationship with Jesus. Paul had an encounter with Jesus, if you remember, in Acts chapter nine. In Acts chapter nine, he just got through persecuting Christians. He hated Christians. He was on his way to Damascus. You remember the story. He was on his way to Damascus, and then he heard a voice. Who was the voice? It was Jesus, and he said this, Saul, Saul, which is Hebrew for Paul, by the way. It's not like his name changed. It's Hebrew. So Paul is the Greek. So Saul is the Hebrew. So he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting a set of beliefs. Not why are you persecuting doctrine or theology, why are you persecuting me? And then what happens, Jesus invites him into a relationship with Jesus, and it became personal to Paul. His faith became personal, and let me ask you this, what is something that's personal to you? What's personal to you? And I would be willing to bet that that thing that's personal to you has moved beyond thought to action. That's why family ministry 
It's so personal to me. Like that dude is so crazy about family ministry. Well, it's because it's personal to me. It's because whenever I was in high school and whenever I was in middle school and in elementary, I had people within the church just like you who invested in me, who saw my potential, who said, man, God has a purpose for your life. Jesus wants to know you, share the gospel with me, and my life was forever changed because of the church investing in me. Why, is it, why else is it personal? Because I have two little girls that are back there right now in our kids' ministry space, and somebody's reminding them of how good God is and how personal Jesus wants to be with them. That's why it's personal. And for, for Paul, it's like Jesus was personal. And he moved throughout his life and he stayed personal throughout his life and he's writing to the Thessalonica from a place of having a personal experience with Jesus. He wants, because it's personal to him, he wants it to be personal to them. Because it's personal to him, he wants it to be personal to them. The question I ask for you today and maybe for some of you is, is Jesus personal to you? Has there ever been a moment where you knew that he called you by name? He called you by, by name. That you, there's been a moment where you just realized, hey, I just didn't make a mistake in this life. I actually sinned against, against God Almighty, the creator of the universe, against the holy God. And, and all of a sudden, this big landscape of church became personal to you because of what Jesus has done for you and through that relationship with Jesus. Because whenever you've been radically changed by the one true God, you tend to carry a different perspective. You tend to live differently because the gospel is personal. How we share the gospel becomes personal. Go back to the Apostle Paul for a second. He said, we loved you so much that we, we, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? But our lives as well. Our lives as well. The gospel goes beyond this idea of sharing from sharing to investing in others. You see, that's the foundation of really what God has designed. He didn't design us to be alone. He designed us to invest in others. You see, over the past a uh, year and a half, what I've known more than anything else is that we were, we were meant to connect to one another. That God has designed us to be in the presence with other people and, and we've experienced more lonely, loneliness than ever before. People are lonely. And as the church, it's our responsibility, it's our calling to step into that loneliness and help people not do life alone. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel does. Number two, Paul did this, and I think we, if we have this view, it changes us. Experiencing undeserved grace. Have you ever gotten anything that you didn't deserve? I wake up every day to that. Look over, see my wife. Yeah, I didn't know that. Have you ever gotten anything that you didn't deserve? I think there's a deep level of gratitude when you realize it. The, the Apostle Paul, whenever he real, he's realizing that, man, I got, I got this salvation that I certainly didn't deserve. You see, Paul had a PhD in law. 
He understood the law. He was a Pharisee. He understood the law. He was an expert in religious law. He knew the law from the inside to out. What he didn't really realize until he met Jesus was love. See, his life was radically changed by the grace of God that he realized that this is not anything that I could do. It's only by the grace of God that I can have salvation. He wrote this to the Galatians. He said, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There was a realization that law wasn't enough, that he couldn't be enough, and Jesus was enough, that God's radical grace changes our perspective. It changes our perspective when we experience, when we dwell in the fact that we are saved by grace and grace alone. There's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation. It's only through Jesus. The next thing is this, trading the temporary for eternal. Trading the temporary for eternal. See, Paul had a calling that moved him beyond earthly gain and earthly pain. That he looked through the lens of heaven. He looked through the lens of heaven. You know what he said about earthly gain. He said this, but whatever was gained to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What, more, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them what? Garbage. That I may gain Christ. All that Paul had and all that he ever gained was nothing compared to eternity. He looked at everything that he did before. He looked at all the things that he had, all his possessions, all the things that he was pursuing. He said that was nothing compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus, my Lord. You see, we are in, right now, we are in a a three-year campaign. If you didn't know, it's called For the Kingdom. And next week is, is the end of it. Um, if you didn't know that. So next week, you're not going to miss. We're going to hear all the different stories about what happened over the past three years in the middle of this capital campaign that we are in. It's called For the Kingdom. It's called For the Kingdom. And, and many of you have invested in this campaign, and we've built out a bunch of spaces and for kids' ministry, for other campuses. We bought houses in Moldova. And you gave sacrificially because you believe that your investment will far outlive you. Because you believe that your investment will have an impact on eternity. That's why we gave. And I look around at these different spaces, you're like, that's great, we, we built a bunch of spaces and they're pretty big spaces and they're awesome spaces, but, but they're just spaces. And let me just tell you, for me, they're not just spaces. They're stories that represent those spaces. Every space that we have, there, there's somebody in those spaces that needed to hear the gospel message, that needed a word of hope, and they showed up to those spaces, and their life has, lives have, have completely been transformed by the grace of God. And let me tell you, over the past 12 months, just what has happened, over 90 kids and students have been baptized over the past 12 months. Now, isn't that worth celebrating that God is good? So it's not just spaces, there's stories. 
Because why? Because we believe in the investment that it goes far beyond us and it's gonna make a difference for eternity. But Paul also spoke a lot about earthly pain. He said this to the early church in 2 Corinthians. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Get this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Like, oh, that's easy for you to say, Paul. You gotta understand, Paul came from a place of suffering. You're like, Paul is like superhero, Christian. Like, why why would, but, but let me tell you something. Paul had a moment in his life where he was kind of complaining. In, in that letter to 2 Corinthians, he actually said, God, this is, this is more than enough. This is more than enough. Okay, I'm a good. I've suffered enough. Like, would you please take this thorn from my flesh because this is way too much for me to handle. Would you please take this from me? Have you had those moments before? Will you please take this from me? This is more than I can handle. Then God spoke into his life and he said this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, in the midst of, of this life, not not only will it happen, it's necessary. Not only will difficulty happen, but it's necessary for our dependence on God. That God's work in me is greater when I'm weaker because in my weakness, I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit all the more. Oftentimes, it's in those valleys when we receive the most nourishment because we are more dependent on God. Randy Alcorn, he was an author, he said, he said this, Present sufferings must be seen in the light of the promise of eternal happiness in God. The scales can't be balanced in this life alone. We do not pass our peaks in this life. The best is yet to come. Missed opportunities will be replaced by billions of new and better opportunities. Don't wait until you die to believe that. Believing it now will change how you think how you view the people around you and what you do with your time and money, which are really God's. That everything is really God's and and there's purpose in it and that leads us to our fourth and final point is that we understanding that there is purpose in the pain. Let me just go back to the first part of this passage. Paul's obviously talking Thessalonica, and he's telling them about Philippi. And he says this, we have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. The question is, what was going on in Philippi? Like, what what in the world happened in Philippi? 
we go to Acts chapter 16, you kind of get this picture of what was going on in Philippi. You had Paul and Silas, his ministry companion, and they were having an incredible ministry day, let me tell you. Like, it was unbelievable. Amazing things were happening. They went to this town of Philippi, and they were sharing the good news, and people were responding to the good news of God. And then they met this lady by the name of Lydia. Lydia, they sat down with her eye to eye, knee to knee, and they shared the good news of Jesus, and her life was completely and radically changed. And by the way, Lydia is the person who started the first church. And then they went to another place, and there was a, there was a person that was, that was controlled by an evil spirit, and Paul said, come out of that woman. And it left. Like, this was an amazing day. Can you imagine what Paul and Silas were experiencing in that moment? That God, you are so good. What in the world that we get to, we get to do this? That we get to see you do amazing things? And then because of their ministry, things started to shift. Because of their ministry, they were, they were taken by an angry mob. They were stripped of their clothes. They were beaten and they were thrown in prison, placed in stocks and in chains. And what was a great day turned out to be the worst day. And they were in prison. And it was getting late. Darkness had fallen. And they were sitting in prison in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. says this. About midnight. You know, midnight's the darkest hour. And you guys, you've probably been up at midnight. You probably know what that looks like. And you're like, man, there's nothing that good that happens at midnight. There's, it's, just, it's just so dark and it feels like it's hopeless. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to sing. See, we, we pray all the time. And I imagine our prayers would align with Paul and Silas's prayers here. That, that God, would you deliver us from this? God, will you heal these wounds, these whelps on my back? God, will you, will you somehow set us free because we don't want to be here? Imagine our prayers would be similar to that. But it's another thing to sing. And it says the other prisoners were listening to them. It's like, what does that look like? Like in the jail cell over, prisoners are like, what are they saying? What are they singing? Are they singing about God? And, and Paul and Silas were just worshiping, man. They were like, I'm gonna sing. In the middle of the storm, louder and louder, I'm going to let my praises roar. What? They're listening and they're like, are you kidding me? You're in prison. Your God is not good. How can you sing about the goodness of God? Out of the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated 
the King is alive. There's nothing that could happen to them on this earth that could ever replace the goodness of God. They were reminded that Jesus is personal. They were reminded that, that God is is a good God, that God has given them purpose in this life. That They were in a dark place, but they knew that God was light and that, that, that light overcame the darkness. See, there was ha- something happening in that cell. There was revival breaking out in that cell in the midst of the night at about midnight there was a revival breaking out in the cell but you know what else was happening there was something going on outside of that cell there was a jailer there was a jailer and this jailer looking at all these prison prison doors they're flung open wide it was, it was crazy. Here's something else that, ha- that happened. It says, after they praised and worshiped, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's cha- chains came loose. And here's what I choose to believe. That's just not literal change. That, that's actually more than that. That maybe chains of doubt, chains of shame, chains of feeling that I don't have a purpose in this life were all broken. And as revival is breaking out in there, there's a jailer sitting on the outside that's about to take his own life because he realized that, oh, these prison doors are opened wide and the government officials are gonna kill me because somehow they've escaped in the middle of the night, but then they heard a voice. Hey, we're still in here. Don't go anywhere. So the jailer heard them and he went inside this jail cell. And he said this question, this is amazing. What must I do to be saved? That night, the jailer's life was changed forever. And his family was changed. What turned into a dark place turned into a celebration. Turned into a celebration. And here's here's what the cool thing that happened. Because they decided to stay in their pain. Because, they, because of their suffering, because of their pain, and because they chose to worship, we're talking about a jailer today and his family because of what they experienced back then. That just reminds me that in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our pain, that other people are impacted by it. And other people are observing, other people are, are looking for hope in such a, a, a hopeless situation. And we have the opportunity to say, man, there is hope in Jesus. See, here's the thing. Our worship, our worship is a witness to the world. It's not our politics, it's not our pleasure, and it's not our pain that's gonna change the world. It's how we praise King Jesus that's gonna change our world. The question is, how are we going to praise King Jesus? in the middle of difficult circumstances. Well, thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, which is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts and content like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and so much more. 
If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, we'd invite you to download our app or visit us at our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on all the things that are happening at Rolling Hills. We're so thankful for you.